If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, the thought has probably run through your mind, if you haven't said it out loud, is following Jesus worth it? Is it really worth all of this? Because the reality is, if you follow Jesus, that requires obedience, and obedience requires time and sacrifice. A lot of time. I mean, I, you know, you're, follow, you're here Sunday morning, but, but it's more than just that time. I, I remember I was talking to a young man uh, who I was trying to share the gospel with, and he just wasn't interested in anything. And, and I said, well, hey, if I gave you like a book, just a small, short book, would you want to read that? And he said, no. He said, absolutely not. He said, when you ask me, do you want to learn more about God? It's like asking if I want to learn how to play the piano, right? Like, no, I'm not interested. And it's like, it's just like a hobby almost. Like, no, I'm not into, I'm not into God. Like, okay, but the creator of the universe and everything that begins to exist had to have had a cause and like, you know, what happens when you die? Like all these big questions you don't care. No, no, it takes too much time. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. You want to take some of my hobbies up? Well, no, it's not a hobby. Right? It takes time. It takes time to come to church. It takes time to read the Word. It takes time to, to uh, do the things that Jesus calls us to do, which brings us to the sacrifice component, right? Like He calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's hard, isn't it? If not impossible at times. Uh, it, it is incredibly hard for us to follow the ethical demands that Jesus gives us. It's really hard. And so the, it, you have to have that question run through your mind at some point. Like, is it really worth it? What will happen if we're obedient to Jesus? What are some of the tangible benefits that we'll see? What will happen if we're obedient to Jesus? So as we continue going through Exodus, we've only got about three or four more weeks, if you can believe it. But we come across uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. And this is a promise, this is a word that God has given to Israel. He says this, I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to a place I've prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. But if you will carefully obey him and do everything I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, Hethites, Pezzarites, Canaanites, Hevites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow in worship to their gods and do not serve them. Do not imitate their practices. Instead, demolish them and smash their sacred pillars into pieces. Uh, so he starts this off, verse 20. It's kind of weird. I'm going to send an angel before you. And we're like, okay, we haven't really seen this in Exodus before. Is he talking about the pillar of fire and smoke? I don't think that's what he's talking about. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of commentators and they'll have a lot of thoughts. But in essence, angel, both in the Old and New Testament, can either mean angel, like a supernatural creature, or messenger. Right? So, so there's a lot of debate sometimes in the New Testament when they say the, the angel of, of the church in, in Revelation, right? And are they talking about like an angel is over every church, or are they just talking about the pastor, the messenger, the person who preaches? Mm -mm. <laughs> right? And I think that's what's happening here. Is it an angel that goes before Israel? Maybe. There's probably something supernatural here. Is the messenger he's saying, is, that, uh, is he talking about Moses? Uh, maybe. I think the best thing we can glean from this is that God will always have a messenger for his people. 
and you need to listen to this messenger. In Israel's case, if it's Moses, then this angel is leading Moses and, and conferring with Moses. We don't see that anywhere else in the text. Um, if it's Moses himself, he's saying that, uh, that Moses is supernaturally empowered by God, and you need to listen to the rules and statutes that he gives in the Word. Um, and then later on, it would become Joshua. Later on, it would become the judges. Later on, it would become the prophets. You need to listen as people are declaring the true Word of God to you. It's kind of interesting, though, because for our context, this sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Right? I'm going to send my angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to a place I've prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him. That sounds, that sounds like Jesus. I think, it's, I think it's fair for us to say, okay, for them it was Moses, but for us as Christians in the New Testament era, it's Jesus. And, uh, and we need to follow after Jesus. Be attentive, listen to him. He says, do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. Okay, so why, why should they follow him? What happens if Israel chooses to follow this messenger, to, to follow Moses and his teaching? What's the tangible benefit? What happens when we follow Jesus? What happens when we're obedient to him? We sacrifice our time and our energy uh, and, and, and follow after him. What is the tangible benefit? Well, for Israel, and I think the same is true for us, it says that God will fight against our enemies. Now, it's really interesting to see here. It doesn't say, I'm going to empower you to fight your enemies. He says, as you go into the land, they're going to flee before you. I will fight the battle for you. You don't have to come up with battle plans. You don't have to say, hey, what am I going to do? I will fight for you. And that's encouraging, especially in the, the, understand, the full understanding of all the Old and New Testament where we're also commanded to love our enemies. Right? So I don't have to, when I have an enemy in my life, and we have enemies, right? You have coworkers who lie about you. You have bosses who are uncaring or treat you inhum, inhumanely. Right? You have um, neighbors who are difficult uh, and, and do things that drive you nuts. You might have family members uh, that you don't get along with or don't get along with you, defame you, or have broken your relationships. Uh, you, we have enemies. Uh, we have larger enemies who are against the ideology of the church and of Christianity. We have enemies, right? And, and it's, it's insane that, that us as Christians are like, man, what do we do? How do we fight this, this evil belief? How do we fight? You know, and it's like right here, it's like you, you, don't, you don't have to. We just sang about it. Trust and obey. And God says, Listen to my angel, listen to my messenger, and I will defeat your enemies for you. Wow. It's kind of like, you know, a number of uh, months ago, one of my kids got in trouble at school, and, you know, that's nothing out of the ordinary, but, uh, but in this case, my kid was being unduly uh, disciplined, and it was wrong, right? So my kid told me everything that's going on, and I go, okay. So what did I do? I was like, all right, you got to go and you got to go and you got to talk to the administration and you're going to have to advocate for yourself. Is that what happened? No. What happened? Dad went in and dad, you just sit there and you be quiet. <laughs> all you got to do is sit, right? All you have to do is sit. Don't talk. You'll make it worse. <laughs> Please. I went in, I go in and I was the one who advocated for my kid and fought for my kid. That's what God does for us. He's like, look, I just, it just, just trust and obey. Just trust and obey. You have enemies. I'll take care of them. I know. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will take care of them. 
Some of you are probably like, yeah, I don't really have all that many enemies. You know, or you're like, I don't even care about any of this stuff. Why should I have to trust and obey? Um, look what it says in verse 24. We see this in the Old and New Testament. God creates a line. You are either one of God's people or you are not one of God's people. He says, do not bow in worship to their gods and do not serve them. Do not imitate their practices. Instead, demolish them, probably referring to the idols that they have. Demolish the idols and smash their sacred pillars to pieces. Uh, Jesus said, you're either for us or against us. Right? And that's not to set up like this, this like hatred and animosity. Uh, Jesus certainly didn't mean that. But, but, and, and they didn't necessarily mean that in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament either. But what he's saying, he's like, look, you're either following the one true God or you're not. There's none of this middle of the road. Part of the problem that we're seeing in 21st century American churches right now is that we just are, are so accepting of a eh, kind of wishy-washy Christianity. And it's no. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me, he says in the Gospel of Luke. Die to yourself every day and follow after Jesus. He calls us to radical obedience. If you read through the book of Revelation, the, that whole book, I totally messed this up when I was preaching through it the first time. I didn't realize it until like the last two, time, two, two sermons I had. That whole book is about victory. How can you have victory? It's by radical obedience to Jesus, no matter what, even if it, it costs you your money and your life. Radical obedience to Jesus. He's saying there is no middle ground. There's no saying, well, I kind of like Jesus, or, you know, I go to church once in a while. He's saying, no, you're either part of God's family or you're not. What will happen if you're obedient to God? What will happen if you are obedient to Jesus? He defeats your enemies for you. Now, I know some of you are here like, oh, okay, well, I've had the same enemy for like, you know, 20 years. You know, I've had the same situation for, for uh, 15 months, 30 years. You know, what's going on with that? That's frustrating, right? You say, okay, I follow Jesus. I'm obedient to him. I've done it. I've done it imperfectly, but I've done it. And yet I still have these problems. I still have these issues. I still have these individuals who are just making my life miserable. When's it going to happen? Well, the answer is I don't know. But he gives us another reason. What will happen if we're obedient to Christ. Go over to uh, verse 27. We'll, we'll, skip. we'll come back to the verses we skipped. God tells Israel, I will cause the people ahead of you to feel terror. So they're going into the promised land, right? This is the land God promised them, but it's already populated by all these large population people. And remember, if you go back and you understand the history of these people, they were awful. They were terrible. Like, those utterly sinful. Uh, so depraved. Uh, among the worst that you can imagine. Think of the absolute worst, most atrocious uh, war crimes being, being done today. Uh, and, and these people were that, times 10. So it wasn't like they were just like, hey, you know, they got a nice house over there, I'm going to go take it. No. These weren't decent individuals. These were people who were being judged by God. Verse 27, he says, I will cause the people ahead of you to feel terror. And I will throw into confusion all the nations you come to. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you and retreat. I will send hornets in front of you, and they will drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Heathites away from you. I will not drive them out ahead of you in a single year. Otherwise, the land would become desolate and wild animals would multiply against you. I will drive them out little by little ahead of you until you become numerous and take possession 
of the land. Wow. Do you see the wisdom of God there? It's, it's incredible. He says, yeah, I could just do it like that and they're all gone. He's like, but then the, the land is worthless to you guys or you're going to have to spend a lot of time working on it. No, I'm going to allow uh, the enemies to keep tilling the soil, to keep building their fortifications, to keep building their homes, and then little by little, I'm going to drive them out. And guess what? You're not going to have to build lavish homes anymore because they're already built for you. Guess what? You're not going to have to till the land and pull all the rocks out again because it's already been done for you. But if I did it all in one shot, well, then the wild animals take over. You know how quickly nature takes over, right? If you have a gravel driveway, you know, like out here, if you're not on top of that driveway every single time, it's all of a sudden a lawn. You can have a spot in your yard where you're trying to grow grass for like 13 years, and it won't grow there, but it will grow in the middle of your driveway. <laughs> it takes over. It takes over quick. And so God in his wisdom says, no, I, it's, it's not going to happen instantaneously all the time, but little by little, I'm going to give you their land and it's going to be usable immediately. What happens if we are obedient to Jesus? Well, at some point, our enemies end up helping us. Our enemies end up helping us. That's like... It's like... Have you ever played air hockey? Right? Like, you know... It's kind of like, you know, when, when someone's like, yeah, I'm going to get this, and they like smash it down and it goes pink, blink, right into your goal. And you're like, oh, right? It's kind of like that. They hit it so hard, blink, and it goes right into their goal. It's like, oh, that's the image God's giving us here. It's like, yeah, they think they're against you and it might hurt and it might be difficult and they might be sinful and they might need to face God's discipline or judgment at the end of time, but I will work that out for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. I will work that out for those who are following me. For those who are obedient to me. And yes, we can't follow perfectly, perfect obedience. And when we do, we repent and we come to Christ. But he says, I will end up making your enemies help you out. It takes time though. Little by little, bit by bit. And he says to Israel, all you guys have to do is go for a nature hike and make babies. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> Just be obedient to me. If you're obedient to me, you're going for a hike and you're making babies. You'll multiply and then I will bless you and I'll give the land over to you. For us, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like pulled pork, right? Uh, when I make my pulled pork, like I, I try to get up as early as possible in the morning, right? And you can't like do good pulled pork in like an hour, can you? No, it's got to be like at least all day, at least all day. And mine's pretty simple. And all the time, whenever I brought it to like potlucks and stuff, maybe we'll get there again. People are like, this is like so good. So I'm going to give you my recipe, which is mega simple. All right, don't use a pork loin. That's, that's fool's meat for pulled pork. Use a pork shoulder or pork butt and put that in there. Then you get uh, Sweet Baby Ray's Hawaiian barbecue sauce, squirt the whole bottle in there, make sure it's all, like put a little on the bottom, put the meat in, squirt it around, put it on low in the slow cooker for, I don't know, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours, and then it's perfect. It's crazy, it's easy, it's the simplest thing. And I've had it all over the place. And people are like, this is so good, I've never had anything like this. This is the easiest thing to do. It really is. 
But it doesn't happen if I go, oh man, oh, I forgot to do that. Okay, we got two hours. Let's stick this puppy on high, right? No, we'll kill everyone at that point <laughs> in a slow cooker. All right, we got to put it in the oven and I got I to gotta smoke it in the, I got to put it on the grill, put it to 400 to 500. It doesn't work like that, right? If you say, oh man, I got to get these, uh, these buns done and I, oh, I forgot to put them in. Let's, let's just stick the oven up to 500 and five minutes will get us there, right? No. It'll be terrible. It'll ruin it. You guys who bake or you guys who, who smoke or make meats, right? You know slow is better. And then it's good. That's kind of what God does with our enemies. I know it's frustrating. It's like, man, I've been dealing with it. The... There's been people I've been dealing with for, for decades. And it's like, ah, and then when are you going to do something, God? But the longer you, he waits, the more they will end up working for you the more it works out in the end if we are obedient to Christ. Why should we be obedient to Christ? What will happen if we are obedient to Him? Not only does He fight our enemies for us, He ends up making our enemies work on our behalf. Some of you might be saying, well, can't we learn from the enemies? I mean, this dividing line that God is making between those who are in the kingdom and those who are outside the kingdom, those who belong to God, those who don't belong to God, those who belong to Christ, and those who don't belong to Christ. Can't we learn some stuff from you know, the outside world? Yeah, I mean, you can to some extent, but we have to be careful of that. In verse uh, 31, the second part of verse 31 God says, for I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control and you will drive them out ahead of you. You must not make a covenant with them or their gods. They must not remain in your land or else, you, or else they will make you sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will be a snare for you. So that's the, that's the key there is worship, right? Everyone worships something. Even if you're a hardcore atheist, you worship hating God. Um, <laughs> not everyone many of the atheists in my own life, it's like, I don't believe in God and I hate him, right? <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, but, but everyone worships something. We are creatures that are made to worship something. So if you're not worshiping the one true God, you will turn something into an idol, whether it's humanism, whether it's um, money, sex, power, fame, something, comfort, entertainment, drugs, alcohol. I, I mean, it can be good things. It can be positive things. We can twist good things into bad things. It could be anything. You're going to make something a God. And, and unfortunately, uh, when we have non-believing friends or family members or structures, um, we have to be careful what we kind of pull in from, from them. Case in point is oftentimes, I know this is starting to, we're getting away from this, praise be to God, but, but I know for a large chunk of time, there was this idea that um, we need to go to the, the church, needs to go to the business world and find all these leadership principles and all these business principles, and we need to run the church like a business. In fact, I'm going to repent to you guys right now. I remember there was, uh, a, not this church, there was a church that in their membership class, which there were times I taught, we had a line in there that said, the church is a business and Jesus is our product. Yeah, I'm glad some of you dry heaved there. I mean, to be truthful, when I heard that, I never felt good about it, but it wasn't until the end of my time there that I actually spoke up and said, this is just, I mean, Jesus is not a product. He's the Lord of lords and King of kings. He's the one who created all things, and by Him all things have been created, and there's not one thing in all of creation that hasn't been created by Him, and He upholds everything. And for the universe to end, He just has to stop. The church is a business, and Jesus is a product. Come on. That's just... Do you, know, do you know what image 
is most often used in the Bible for, for the church? It's family. It's family. Sorry, Mom, you're fired. <laughs> that was just terrible. You, the way you made that casserole, it's just you're fired. Right? You can't run a family like a business. Like You've got to deal with family whether you like them or not. <laughs> and that's the image God gives us of the church. The first image of the church is remember Jesus is dying on the cross. He looks to John and He looks to Mary. He says to Mary, behold your son. He says to, to John, behold your mother. And that was a tender moment where I think Jesus was saying, hey, take care of my mom. But it was more than that where He was saying, this is what the church is. Your family you don't fire family. You don't treat family like, like employees. You love each other and you deal with each other and you struggle and you fight. And at the end of the day, you love each other. So yes, there are some things out in the world that we can say, oh, hey, yeah. yeah. They take online giving. Okay, we can do that too. That's not theological. But we've got to be careful that we don't start following their false gods of, oh, we're a business and Jesus is our product. Blah. No, when we're obedient to Jesus, He not only fights our enemies for us, but eventually, eventually, He makes our enemies work for us. All of the things that they've done, all the things that they've done against the church, God works it together for our good. So we have to have that long-suffering obedience. But there's one more thing. There's one more thing that God does for us. Now this text, man, it... it, it I struggle with it. That's why I just skipped over. If you go back to verse 25, um, how do we apply this today? How did they apply this then? Remember, he says, hey, listen to this angel. Do whatever he says. And this next section we read, we never see this fulfilled in Israel. So that's why it's difficult. Verse, uh, verse 25, it says, serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. I will remove illnesses from you. No woman will miscarry or be childless in your land. I will give you the full number of your days. And then skip over to verse 31. He says, I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the wilderness to the Euphrates River. Okay, so all of these things, like you read these and go, these never happened in ancient Israel. They, they didn't happen. And, and part of that, um, he starts in verse 25, serve the Lord. So if you are obedient to the Lord, if you obey Him, if you listen to Him, if you follow Him, then He will bless your bread and water. Um, so you're never going to go, no one's ever going to go hungry. Okay, that's, people have gone hungry in ancient Israel. He'll remove illnesses from you. People got sick in ancient Israel. No woman will miscarry. We saw, like the Bible has a record of miscarriages. Or be childless, and the Bible has a record of childlessness. In your land, and I will give you the full number of your days. So what's happening here? And then, oh, so that was conditional. Okay, so you could just say, well, Israel, they weren't fully obedient to God, and so that's why what happened happened, right? Uh, they never experienced that because they weren't fully obedient. Except for you get to verse 31. He says, I will. This is not a conditional promise. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the wilderness to the Euphrates River. Uh, if you look at that on a map, Israel has never occupied all that territory. They never have. That was an unconditional promise God made to them, and it's never been fulfilled. So here's what I think is going on. Uh, part of it was a conditional promise. Israel lacked the power to follow through on that conditional promise, and so they never received that blessing. What was the power that they lacked? Well, the Holy Spirit did not indwell in all of them. And actually, that's why I'm wearing red today, because this is Pentecost Sunday, 
when we are reminded about the birth of the church, we are reminded that God the Holy Spirit began inhabiting every single believer. Israel lacked the willpower, just like we lack the willpower to be obedient to God, but now we have the Holy Spirit who lives within every believer. We have the power. It's not from us. It's from God the Holy Spirit to stand up against sin, to be obedient to Christ, and when we fail, He convicts us to repent, and He hits the reset button, and we can continue on in our journey of obedience. So what I think is happening here, and this is where my, uh, my end times belief comes into play, and so you might disagree with that, but this, this text is one of the reasons why I believe what I believe. I do believe that at one point, King Jesus will come to this earth and he will set up a thousand-year reign, the millennial reign. He'll physically be here. Now you can disagree with me, and that's fine. We can, you know. But this is what I, I can't make sense of this text amongst the rest of the Bible without this. Jesus will come back, and all of Israel, the Jews who are on the earth, they will turn to Christ, by and large. And uh, and when Jesus reigns, all of the promises that were never fulfilled in Israel, as they are now filled with the Holy Spirit, as they are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, now those things for that millennial reign will be fulfilled in Israel and on this earth. And that's where I think these texts where we don't see how they've ever been fulfilled, I think that's when we'll see them fulfilled. For us Christians, we realize man, there is childlessness and there is miscarriage and there is illness and there's sickness and there's death and all of this happens. I think this is a promise for the life to come. I think it's a promise for life to come. So not only does he fight our enemies for us, not only does he make our enemies work for us if we are obedient to him, if we are obedient to Jesus, if we're obedient to Jesus, he will give us a perfect life which is what's describing there. It's not going to come this side of eternity. It's not going to come until we see Jesus face to face. You're either going to die and go to heaven or you are going to uh, be here when Jesus comes back and resurrects uh, all the believers. And it's going to either be in, in, in at the end of your life or in the new heaven and new earth, but at either case, in the new heaven and new earth, he is going to give you a perfect life for those who've chosen to follow Jesus. We don't follow him perfectly but because we have God the Holy Spirit and because Jesus died once and for all on the cross for our sins, we know when we mess up, when we sin, when we fail, we can always repent. And He is always faithful to forgive us. He always is. And He always will. Um, it's kind of like um, we have to persevere. Uh, I, I do believe, and Scripture teaches, that salvation is through trusting in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, that He died for your sins and rose again, you are saved. So we are not saved by works. Um, but this, this life, we are carving out for ourselves in eternity. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but there are rewards in the new heaven and new earth. And we have to persevere. You can't just cut corners, right? You can't just throw the, the meat into the slow cooker for an hour and think that you're going to get there. You can't just throw the souffle into the oven for, for five minutes at 500 and think that it's not going to pop and burst and be disgusting. It takes time. We have to have obedience in the same direction for a long time. My uh, sister-in-law, many of you know, uh, Maggie, makes quilts. And she made this quilt for my daughter. Ooh, look at that. Isn't that, like, isn't that crazy incredible? I'll hold it up so everyone in the bottom can see. 
uh, uh, it's like the, it's it's huge. I can't, you know. My brother, who's taller than me, when she takes pictures of them, he like stands like he he can hold them up so everyone can see them, and it's cool. But she makes these quilts, and you know, it occurred to me like you can't make a quilt like that. Like every single one of this is like a single peak square of fabric, and then there's a separate square of fabric and a separate square of fabric. Right? You don't like wake up one morning and say, I'm going to make a quilt like this today and start on it and finish it today. It doesn't happen. Right? You don't get like middle of the night, you know, like, oh, you want to come to bed, honey? No, I'm going to make a quilt in the last hour. Right? What are you going to get? You're going to have a piece of fabric. You're not going to have anything that, that, that's amazing and beautiful and uh, a tapestry like this. No, like it takes time and it takes perseverance in the same direction for a long time. And that's the life Christ is calling you to. We are saved by trusting in Jesus and in that moment our sins are forgiven. But He calls us to obedience. And what happens when we're obedient to Him? Well, He fights our enemies for us. He not only fights our enemies for us, He makes them work for us. It might be a long, long time, but He makes them work for us. He works all things together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but He gives us a life that is perfect. Not right now. That's coming. But we've got to wait for it. We've got to trust that it's happening. We've got to trust that it's coming. You know, a good example of our enemies working for us, uh, some, some of you have heard some of these stories before, but when I first came here you know, 11-ish years ago, uh, we met at a school, and <laughs> I had a guy who was connected to the school call me up and say, hey, I want to go out for lunch, you know, just to get to know you, because I know you're a new pastor in the area. I have no agenda. Which is like, oh, okay, doop-a-doop-a-doop, right? When somebody says they have no agenda, they have an agenda. He basically sat across from me at Chili's and said, said hey, uh, I'm starting a new church. He was a pastor at another church. And uh, I'm leaving that church, and I'm going to start a new church, and I'm so popular at that church, my church is going to be the biggest church in the area. Okay. And uh, your church isn't large enough to meet where you're currently meeting, and I want to meet there. So uh, you, you, we need to swap places. You need to find another place to meet. And I, and, uh, you know, I was like, no, no. <laughs> and we got a leadership team. We got to make this decision with no. Like, I, no. Right. So what did he do? He went to the board of the school, and they came back to me and they said, hey, you're not paying enough. We're going to raise your rent. <laughs> so I was like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, I, it was like, what, five months I was here? right? Which I'd marked in my calendar, like anyone who does a new pastorate, like I marked in my calendar nine, ten months, like don't make any changes, just get to know everybody, right? Because everyone's afraid, what's he going to do? Well, just get to know, and then we trust each other, and then we can start making. So now I'm already like five months into this thing, and uh, like, and we're getting like essentially kicked out because they raised the rent significantly. They're like, yeah, you're not paying enough. <sighs> and they were very front. They are like, oh yeah, this guy came to, to us, and he's told us this, and you guys aren't paying enough, you need to pay more. Wow. Well, from that, we started looking around. We found that place up on Chump's Corners, which was a church building. And we were able to rent that for a pretty cheap price. That, and, and for a time, it was a blessing until, until the landlord there, who was very frustrated and difficult to deal with, uh, decided he was going to triple our rent. You sense, sense a theme here? And we're looking and looking and looking. This was it. This was it. This was the only option that we had. And God led us here. And we've blessed the community and been blessed by the community because of this. 
That's an image of God. Yes, Patty, I didn't want to come here. Okay, you're laughing because I didn't want to come here. Even though I said, I was like, yep, I realize God is leading us here and I don't like it. Um, and I've been very honest with you guys about that. And he has blessed us abundantly here because I don't know anything. And I, you know, try and follow the will of God. That's just a good image of our enemies trying try to work against us and God being like, oh, no, I, yeah, your enemies are working against you and then he uses them to bless us. We had a church building we were paying for cheaper than when we were renting the school and we had it 24-7, access to it 24-7. And then, I mean, you know, you talk about the economy right now. I think, what did we get this for? Like $189,000 or something like that? 10 acres of property? Are you kidding me? That's like nothing. We're still paying the mortgage, but it's like Nothing. God works, and He works, and He works. Because I think generally, we're not a perfect church. We have a lot, long ways to go. Um, but we're trying to be obedient, and when we mess up, we own our mistakes. Like, I was wrong about coming here. <laughs> Patty. <laughs> Sin, because that's, that's the issue, right? Sin is the issue. Sin is over here saying, hey, no, follow me. Sin wants you to commit sin and it's going to improve your life. But here, sin is like cotton candy, right? It's really quick and easy to make and you eat it and you're like, wow, that's great. And then you're like, ugh. It's not filling. It's not fulfilling. At least plaque on your teeth, as I told my kids this morning, plaque is literally bacteria pee. <laughs> right? They're like, what? Bacteria peeing on my teeth? No, only when you eat the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> right that's what cotton candy does it just it's 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 at first like oh this is great and then it's not there and then it you know and then it goes to places on your body you don't want it to be versus like a five course meal it takes long if someone else is making it for you it takes a long time to wait if you're making it, it takes a long time to make it, a longer time to make it than to eat it and then it comes and then you got to wait and then the next one comes and you got to wait but oh my goodness if you've ever had like a amazing five-course meal, you don't come out of that thing going like, oh man, what? wish I had some chocolate or something to chew on. Or, you know, like you're not looking for a granola bar because you're so hungry. Um, you're just so satisfied. So very satisfied. Sin always oversells, under-delivers, has been said over and over again. But following Christ, it satisfies. Sin is a short-term plan. I'm miserable now and I want to feel happy and it'll make you feel happy for a minute and then it's gone. Following Jesus is a long-term investment. Both for this life and mostly for the life to come. When you are obedient to Jesus, He will fight your enemies for you. He will make your enemies end up working for you. And He promises you an unbelievable life, a perfect life. Most certainly in the life to come. Obedience equals victory. Let's pray. Father, as we're about to take the Lord's Supper together, help us to understand what Israel oftentimes didn't, and what we oftentimes don't understand 
that we can live the victorious life through obedience to You. That in and of ourselves, when we try to live the Christian life, when we try to love our enemies, when we try to love others, that we will fail if we do it in our own power. But if we submit ourselves and rely on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask the Holy Spirit, we will be enabled. We will be given power from on high to live the life You've called us to live, to love the unlovable, to love those who have been cast out by society to navigate these uncertain days ahead of us. Father, I pray that You will give us discernment because these days are evil. I pray that You give us a tender heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that has been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ because many of our brothers and sisters are hardening their hearts. I pray that You fill us with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control that we are known by these things. And that when our angers and passions and hatreds rise up, we will submit ourselves to You, Father, and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Thank You for everything You've given us. As we take the Lord's Supper right now, we submit our hearts to You and we pray that we will open up our minds and our hearts to, to the Holy Spirit that You might seek us and know us, reveal any wickedness within us so that we might repent and be restored. Thank You that we have Jesus Christ. Thank You that our salvation is not based on our ability to be obedient because we have failed and failed again. Thank You that our salvation in Jesus is, is not based on our own efforts, our own works, but it's based on His death, burial, and resurrection. His work. His righteousness, His goodness. And because of what He did as we accept Him, we are now free to be obedient. And to see You deal with our enemies as You see fit as we live in this time of uncertainty but great hope that when King Jesus comes, He will make all things right. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Help us to be faithful to our Lord who saved us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.